right, we'll continue on in our trek through Romans. Uh, we're actually starting a new section this morning, so you might be glad to know that, or just, oh, okay. Um, but as before we get to Romans 5, I'm going to ask you to please t- turn to Hosea chapter 14, our Old Testament reading is Hosea 14. And this is just a plea for God's people to return to the Lord, to stop their idolatry, to stop their worship of false gods and come back to the true and living God, stop relying on other nations, stop relying on themselves, but look to the one who saves, and that's to God. So Isaiah, Hosea 14, 1 through 7, then over to Romans 5. The prophet writes this, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good. And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Amen and praise God. Then over to Romans chapter 5. Like I said, we're starting a new section. Paul's like he's concluding finally uh, his argument regarding justification by faith alone. But it's such a heavy doctrine. He started that doctrine back in uh, 324. And now by the end of Coming to the end of chapter 5, he finally concludes that argument on justification alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We've talked about that. I hope it's ingrained in your hearts and your minds. It's so important to understanding the faith that we have in Christ. Amen? Praise God. He talked about the benefits of justification in chapter 5. We've just been through that. Now, the next big chunk or big section of this letter Paul talks about the implications of our justification, and especially what he does is so cool because he anticipates, like any good teacher, um, he anticipates objections, and he answers those objections because there's always going to be pushback, especially when it comes to grace, especially when it comes to justification by grace. Why? Because we tend towards works, don't we? We always want to do something, even a little bit of something, to earn God's merit and God's favor. Or we might take advantage of that grace. Paul addresses these kinds of questions that he's anticipating. So that's kind of what's coming up in the next big section. Law and gospel, sin and grace. So we'll read 520 through uh, 6-2. So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, Now the law has come, come in to increase the trespass, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on and asks the question, what shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then chapter verse 2, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? So you see he's addressing that question. Um, and as he gets there, and we're going to talk about today, again, this is going to be like almost one long introduction. It's a sermon, but one long introduction into this next section because there's a couple of different mindsets when we think about grace that are totally wrong and miss the point of, of what Paul the point that Paul is trying to make regarding grace. We're going to really be talking about that today. We're going to start off in verse 20. He talks about the effect of the law, right? So he's saying this, as as the law came in, as the law was given to Moses, there was an increase in trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's going to be really important, really key text. But we need to clear up this little matter of what he's talking about when he says... You know, as the law came in, sin increased. You know, when it was made known, that increased the trespasses. What's he talking? What's he, what's he mean when he says that? That's the effect of the law being introduced. Now, you know from our sermons, we're not going to dwell on this too much or too long, that the law has always been in effect. We always had the moral law. We're created in his image. It's in our minds. It's in our hearts. We know it. We see it. We understand it, even if we don't have the full picture of it. That's why we're still accountable to God, because he created us that way. Right, So Paul's not saying the, the commandments. It didn't add to the moral law of God. It didn't add to the, the commandments. All it did was it made it more clear. That's what he's saying here. When the law came in, it made it more clear. People were more cognizant of it. People were more, more culpable. Not that they weren't culpable, but even more so as it comes before them. In other words, it leaves no room for doubt. That's what he means when he's saying this. As the law came, the trespasses increased in that way. So think of a school zone. It's kind of an illustration for this. If you're driving, uh, you have a school nearby, and you're driving into a school zone, and you know those signs that are there, you're entering, you have to reduce your speed. So before the law was given in this way, you could kind of think of, a, of that sign being there, but like kind of bent a little bit or twisted and obscured by branches and leaves, right? It's still the law, isn't it? If you're speeding in that zone, you're still culpable for it. Even though the sign wasn't as clear, it's still there, and you're still culpable for it. Understand? Does that make sense? Now he's saying, but when the law came, when the law was given, that's like taking that sign, building a brand new sign, a huge sign, you know, speed limit, school zone, 15, with the flashing lights, so you can't miss it, right? So you know if you're speeding through that, you're actually hitting the gas to get through. Does that make sense? That's the idea with the law when he talks about it. That law comes, and then you see it more clearly, and then he goes on to say, and that's where sins, the trespasses increase. Well, what's that mean? Like, the law comes, we just talked last week about the law being a restraint, and it is for so many people. But you know what? You know what that law also does? Because you're a rebel, and I'm a rebel, and we're all rebels. Sometimes when you see that law, you just want to break it, don't you? You just want to transgress because you can't. That, that's what he is saying here. Too. And Paul talks about that. We'll talk much more about this uh, when we get to chapter 7. So just you could turn the page to chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Paul does talk about that. He says, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. 
For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. Now, we'll expand on that when we get there. But you see that, man? Sometimes when you see that that restriction or that law against you, you, you want to break it. You want to do... You don't want to do what you're told to do oftentimes. You don't want to be told how you are to act oftentimes, and you want to do what you want to do, right? What's that saying from that movie from a long time ago? Being bad feels pretty good, doesn't it? That's kind of the idea behind this. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. You tell a little kid, don't touch that. What's that little kid's first reaction? No, I gotta touch that. Don't do that. Right? They're gonna do that. They're gonna seek to do that. That's kind of how the law, when you're told not to, when you have those restrictions, it kind of says, no, I'm going to do this. There's part of that that provokes us to sin. So that is what's going on here. So it could actually provoke you to, to break the law. So that's what he's saying here. But then the stunning statement, and this is what we're gonna focus in on today, when he says, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When that sin increased, that's, a, that's an absolute stunning statement. That's an amazing proclamation regarding the grace of God. And this is something that we don't always, we don't fathom, we don't get it to the, to the core of our being, just that the grace of God in our lives. We did talk about that somewhat last week. We had an illustration regarding that as well. But, but man, you what he's saying here, where sin abounds, what, what grace abounded all the more. Listen to this. What he's saying is that you cannot out-sin God's grace. Do you know that? That he loves us and he died on the cross, that we cannot out-sin the grace of God. No matter how many sins we commit, if we are in Christ, we are covered by his blood and our sins are forgiven in him. He's saying, he's saying there's no sin that's too great, too high, too low, that's not forgiven by grace. Do you understand? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all that much more. That's what Paul is writing here. There's no limits to his grace. You, you get that, man? Do you understand that? Aren't you so thankful that there's no limits to his grace and forgiveness? Because we'd be in big trouble because every day we sin in some way and we rely on that grace and mercy in Christ. Amen and praise God. What if he said, okay, Okay, no, 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 no. This is it. One more time, and I'm done with you. We'd all be toast, like tomorrow, or maybe even later today, or maybe in the next 10 minutes, because his grace would not be covering us. But as it is, that grace abounds all the more. Aren't we blessed? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you praising the Lord? This is boundless, boundless, boundless grace, is what he's saying. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the heart of the gospel. Check out these verses. It's going to be a little machine gun here. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's abounding grace. Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, they, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That is boundless grace. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Amen and praise God. Psalm 103, 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great 
is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Praise God. Psalm 130, 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Nobody, right? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That is boundless grace. That belongs to us. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Your sin, what did he say to the woman? What did he say to the man who was healed? Your sins have been forgiven. That's boundless grace. Today you will be with me in paradise. Grace abounds in Christ. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Is that good? Is that enough? No. Seventy times seven. Grace abounds as we confess our sins. It's so hard to fathom. It's so hard to, 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 to believe in our lives that that's what we're under, grace. It doesn't work like that in life. It doesn't work like that in other religions, other philosophies. But in him, in Christ, grace abounds. You understand? Did I make that point? You get it? You can't outsin the grace of God. Amen and praise God for that. Now, based on that fact that we're under his grace, he anticipates some pushback, right? Because there's part of us that say that can't be. How, you know, that there's all kinds of dangers inherent in that, right? So he says, uh, in, in, in 6.1, he says, what shall we say then since we're under this grace? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? That's a big objection. We're going to really deal with it next week especially. But um, that's, in these verses, is where we encounter two major reactions, two major responses, uh, the, the kind of the pushback to, to being covered by grace, two major responses to grace. Both of them are wrong. They're both wrong in different ways. But you know what? They're very telling of where you may be standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not truly converted, if you don't truly grasp the grace that we're under, you're going to err on two different sides in the Christian milieu. Do you understand that? It's a big, big deal. It was a big deal then. It's a big deal today. These are dual dangers, and they are very real, and they are very present so you need to understand them if you're going to understand what grace truly is. Now, we're going to get to that next week, you know, and how we ought to live as Christian, how we view this Christian life, that the grace that we're under. But for today, we're going to talk and we're going to drill down on these two different responses, especially on the one regarding the legalistic aspect of it. So verse 20b, when we say that, look at verse the second half of verse 20, when he says the trans, trans, uh, sin came, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Listen, <clears throat> that verse right there, that second half of that verse, is the legalist's nightmare. If you're tend towards legalism in your life, we're going to be talking all about this. I'll define that in a moment. That's a nightmare passage for you because that's really hard. If you're an antinomian, we're going to define that as well. If you're an antinomian, this is your dream passage, right? Because it gives you, if you're a legalist, if you tend towards legalism in your life and you walk with Christ, if you're not truly converted, or if you're truly converted and just in deep weeds, you can err on either side. That's the point of this sermon today, the point of this message today. We don't want you to do that. We're especially going to be talking about legalism. We will touch on antinomianism. But the legalist says, if grace abounds, if grace is free, if sin increases, but grace abounds all the more, then people are going to think they can live any way that they please to live. That's what they're going to do. They're going to take full advantage of that. And you know, some people actually do. But that's not Paul's point. 
Now, on the other side of that, the antinomian says, hey, since I'm free in Christ, and we love our freedom in Christ, right? If you're antinomian, uh, if you're free in Christ, my sins are covered by grace, then I don't really need to take sin all too serious in my life. Now, they're not going to say it like that, but that's how they live their lives. Hey, I'm covered by grace, and you know, God gets me, and he understands me. So implicitly in this, in this passage, in this uh, section here, he speaks to those who tend towards legalism, and more explicitly, he talks to those who tend towards antinomianism. So what is legalism? You guys know this. This isn't going to be anything too new for you, but I want you to see because it's important, because it's a tendency in our lives, and it just robs us of that joy. It robs us of the, of the, of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ to be covered by grace and what that means. And it robs us from living the life that we're called to live, and it robs him of his glory ultimately. That's what it absolutely does. So I want to really deal with this and drill down on this. And it's just where you put the emphasis on the law. That's what it is. You put the emphasis on the law of God. They don't like this passage where grace, you know, for sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Wow, man, we got to be really careful with that grace thing because that can be really dangerous because you're going to do things you shouldn't really be doing. So the legalists will tend to put the reins on grace, kind of squelch, squelch that down a little bit. The Pharisees were famous for this and it's still around today. It's not just the, the Pharisees back then, but the emphasis is on the law. So the legalists will say something like this with a verse like this. Okay? Obviously, they're going to say we're saved by grace. Most legalists are not going to say you need to be saved by works. Uh, Christian cults like Jehovah's Witness, they'll do that. They absolutely are saved by works. But even Roman Catholics will say that you're saved by grace. Do you know that? Do you understand that? That your grace of baptism, that's nothing you do. That's all of grace poured in you. But the rest of your life is kind of working that out through the sacraments and doing what you need to do. So they'll, they'll, they'll even give that much on it. But Legalist is going to say you're saved by grace, but kept by works. Now, they're not going to say you're kept by works, right? You're not, they're not going to come up to you. If you're, if I'm a legalist, I'm not going to say, hi, I'm Joey Griffo, and I'm a legalist. And you're saved by grace, but you got to really work and make sure that you're doing what God demands of you so you end up in heaven ultimately. No, we're under grace. So we're not kept by works. Galatians 3, this is a problem in Galatia, in that church. Paul said, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Yeah, we're saved by grace, but are you being perfected by the flesh? We've got to keep working to make sure we maintain that salvation and put the limits and the kibosh on you know, joy in the Christian life because that might be not pleasing to our God. So for the legalists, the idea behind it in this kind of verse where they really, you know, grace is dangerous, and it is, and it can be in that way. You know, we need to keep it in biblical perspective. Um, you kind of need to prove you're a Christian by doing what? By keeping the rules, by fulfilling your duty, by following the laws, the, the good old do's and don'ts. A lot of you were raised in that way, or many of you, I know. Uh, the letter of the law really supersedes the spirit of the law. There's no room for the spirit. It's black and white. It's the letter of the law all the time. And so you're living up to expectations all the time. Don't you hate that burden? If you were in a legalist background, you always had to live up to those expectations of what man imposed on God's word for you. Amen? So it's not really God's pure calling on our lives, but what people kind of put into God's word. Does that make sense? So you had in the, if you're a little bit older, in the mid-70s, 80s, and the 90s, Jerry Falwell, the moral majority. Again, not all bad. The gospel was preached, and there were good things about that, but they were known to be very legalistic. So you can't do this, you can't do that. You had to sign the moral codes and moral clauses to, to go to their schools, and very much kind of that come off like holier than you, and, you know, 
you're the people over there and until you come over here, we're not going to accept you and here's what you must do if you are a Christian to maintain that. That kind of, <clears throat> those burdens that are placed on you. Uh, how many of you have heard of Bill Gothard and that the whole thing with the family, marriage? If you know the Duggars, they were kind of followers of of Gothard, again, at that same time period, very legalistic. The fundamentalist Baptists, um, where they really place an emphasis on the, the do's and the don'ts to kind of show and prove that you are a Christian and that God is going to be pleased with you. That's not, that, see, that grace is very dangerous. The, the abounding, the abundance of grace is very dangerous to them. So if you're, if you tend towards that, and you need to examine yourself as I'm going through this, because this is what we're going to be talking about as we're laying the foundation for what Paul actually teaches regarding sin and the grace of God. Because this is, this is a distortion of that. It really is. And it's a miserable way to live if you're a Christian. You will not experience joy, peace, and, and real fellowship with the, with the Lord. You just don't. He's a cold and distant, you know, fear of God type of thing, afraid of God type of thing. So what happens if you're here and, and you don't see that grace abounding, you'll tend to build fences around the word of God. So they're fence builders. You know what a fence builder is? Back in the day, we were growing up, nobody had fences for the most part. But if you put up a fence, that was kind of an offense to your neighbor. You're like a fence builder, right? You know, you're keeping people out. Now most people have fences for good reason. Um, but what what that does, what a fence builder does, is they take le- legitimate truths of Scripture. So it's not that the person that tends toward legalism is devoid of any truth. That's the scary part. There's actually truth in the teaching. There's actually Bible in, in what they're saying, and oftentimes quite a bit, right? The problem is, is they add layers to what the Scripture teaches. So Jesus says in Matthew 23 to the religious leaders, you are adding burdens onto people. You're weighing them down. You're not just teaching the scripture, which they're called to obey, but you're adding onto that your own rules of interpretation of the scripture so that God will still be pleased with you. And that's not required. But see, that's what you're doing so that God will will still love you and and he'll, he'll approve of you. Do you understand? So Jesus said, you're weighing them down with these burdens that you're placing upon them even if it's done with good intentions. And often they are done with good intentions. And oftentimes they're not even bad things necessarily. But to impose them, to make them almost an extension or a part of Scripture, that's where the problem is. You're not abounding in grace at that point. You're, you're, you're taking that and you're, you're, you're twisting that. You're adding to it. So a couple of real easy examples. I always go for the low-hanging fruit in, in these ways. We could talk about drink and alcohol. That's a big deal for many who tend towards legalism. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. To, 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 to have that, that, that idol of, of drunkenness and, and being there, that Bible definitely considers that. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Read Proverbs throughout Scripture. We're told about the dangers of that, and there's real dangers with that, okay? And that is sin, and it can lead to other sinful actions as well. But what the legalists will do, who tend towards legalism, what are they going to say to you? Don't you drink. Don't you drink at all. Why would you drink if it could possibly lead to drunkenness? Dummy. <laughs> that's, that's the implication. <laughs> Don't you see that? Uh, yeah, it just makes sense that you wouldn't drink at all. And so what they do is they impose that. They impose that on you. And, and there's kind of almost a, a feeling of guilt if you, if you, if you kind of go against that. You know, you, the, 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 the idea is like, you know, you'll ruin your witness. 
you, you're going to ruin your witness if you drink. So why even drink one, one drink, you know? Now, there is a possibility of ruining your witness if you're over there skunk drunk and say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, no, that is bad. You don't want to do that. Huh? People are doing that, that kind of drunk witnessing. They get wasted, and then they're really bold with, like, trying to articulate the gospel. Believe me, I've seen that. But anyway, um, that's not what we're talking about here. So, so the idea is, 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 you know, it's bad for your witness. It could lead to that. So why do it in the first place? Putting that safeguard there. But that's it. See, grace is not abounding in that. Because that's not what the scripture actually teaches. Now, if you don't want to drink, amen, and praise God, that's fine. That's good. But when you impose that, say, you must not, you cannot, and if you do, it's tantamount to sin. That's a different story. And that's why some of the institutions don't have forms you sign. You have to take vows of abstaining from alcohol to attend seminary. Uh, and the former denomination I was in was vow eight. Now, I did abstain from taking that vow. They made an exception. A few of us took that, but, but that was a vow. You go to some of the Christian colleges, seminaries, you have to vow that you will not touch alcohol. That's, do you see that? That's not grace abounding. That's people that are afraid, saying, I can't let you do that because that's, that's too much. That's giving you too much, you know, leeway there. We have to, we have to put the kibosh on. We have to put the reins on that. And that would be fine if scripture actually taught that, but scripture doesn't teach that. This is one example. There's so many others. Address. That's another one. Typical one. Should you be modest? Should you dress modestly? Mm hmm. Absolutely. You're not to dress provocatively. If you're, that's, that's biblical. First Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3. But if you tend towards legalism, what are you going to do? You're going to insist on dress codes. And oftentimes it go beyond the, the scriptures themselves, right? So, so again, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you ought to dress modestly, not like the rest of the world, not like the culture. It's biblical. There's something to that. You don't want to dress in that, in that provocative way to be sure, but, You'll get the dress codes will say, if you're wearing slacks or you're wearing jeans, it's tantamount to sin. It's almost sin. And if you're a guy and you come to church and your suit's not on, see, I have my suit on. Where's your suit? You don't have your suits on. You're on your way to hell, man. <laughs> and that's that's you know, hyperbole, obviously, but that's the idea. And that's, that's the deal. When Paul says, where sin abounds. Grace abounds all the more. The legalists can't take that grace abounds all the more. There has to be something to rein us in, to hold us in, besides a pure word of God. Do you see this? That's why it's a big problem for them. The focus for the legalists is on performance. I know this and understand this and get this down. I know that which which I speak. I said that right. It's about performance and outward appearance so often. So when it happens with a legalism, oftentimes you'll find hypocrisy. Why? Because it's, 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 it's outward performance. How am I doing? And, and outward appearance. How do I look? But it's not really in the heart. So you have somebody preaching against gambling all day long. You know, you shouldn't gamble and gambling's wrong. And there's truth in that, obviously. It's this, it's that. It could lead, do this and that. But that same person at two o'clock in the morning is on his computer playing poker. What's the main game? The poker game. 
Texas Hold'em. <laughs> he's saying blackjack, five card stud. All the, you know, he's on there playing playing those games in the middle of the night, in the wee hours of the night, going getting in debt up to his ears. That's the hypocrisy that comes. That's what Jesus warned about. He said, "You guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look really good. You're shiny and new and beautiful. But inside, when you open that casket, you're full of dead men's bones. That's the hypocrisy that's there. You understand that? Some women." Check this out. Some women are secretly envious of how other women dress. And they wish that they could dress that way, but since they're Christians, they can't, but I want to, and I resent you. It's not that they're content to dress as you know the Lord would have them dress with godliness and simplicity. Amen and praise God for that. But when you sit there and you're resentful because you wish you could do that, but you can't do that, that's legalism. You know, and so you resent that person and you, you can't be the way. That's, that's the mindset that takes place. That is not biblical. That's not grace abounding. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Grace abounding is very scary for them. So we're going to go on. Another aspect, another, um, and again, there's, there's always some truth in this. So we always want to make sure we're uh, careful with that and ciphering that out because they'd love to exert authority. Again, there's nothing wrong with godly authority, but what happens if you tend towards legalism, you'll use that authority to produce guilt oftentimes in people. You'll threaten with punishment um, and actually discipline for the silliest things. But the big, the, the, one of the main weapons in the arsenal of the legalist is guilt, right? If you were in a legalist situation, you know that that guilt is just poured on you and poured on you and poured out on you. Um, so you have a, I wasn't told just like this, I'm embellishing this story, but in, in a previous uh, ministry or pastorate, um, we had Wednesday night prayer meeting, and it was just a few people that were there, but that prayer meeting had been going on since like the late 1800s, every Wednesday night, and you had a couple people there, and you know, I, I missed one, and there was a person there who's about 90 years old and said, well, I haven't missed a prayer meeting, not one week, and I started back in 42, and, you know, I didn't miss one, and you, did, you missed one after just a few weeks of being here. Ouch. No guilt there. No hot coals poured on my head, and you're the pastor, and you weren't there, and I'm 90 years old, and, you know, I drive through the snow and through tornadoes and whatever else is in my way to get there. I'm not going to miss that darn prayer meeting. But you did. No, no guilt there. No, ah, that's that's a that's a hallmark where grace is not abounding. They major on minor issues, oftentimes. You know, relatively speaking, often they'll deal with um, major sins in a superficial way. Right. So you have people preaching and teaching on the dangers of dancing and clubbing, and there's something to that, obviously. But those same people will send a wife back to an abusive home and an abusive husband. Because he's the head of the home, and that's where she needs to be. See? Why? Because it's about appearance. We can't let the world know that we have any problems, and that we're not just perfect, and we're not just fine, because there's so much pressure on the legalists to perform. They don't know grace abounding. They can't get past that. So with a legalist, if you're dealing with one, if you are one, you will find little grace. Not much grace there. You will find little compassion, little mercy, and hardly any generosity at all. These are hallmarks, you know, if you're under that, that burden, that weight of legalism, you'll find that. Little grace, little compassion, little mercy, and hardly any generosity at all. 
That's just how it is. Because there's, and as a matter of fact, they like to see people suffer the consequences of their sins. If you're a true Christian, yes, God is righteous, there's consequences for sin, but you shouldn't like it. Even your worst enemy, you should be praying for that person who's on their way to hell. You should be praying for that person that has suffered the consequences for their sin. Yes, God is just and righteous, we exalt in that. But if you take great pleasure that people who who did wrong, and now they're paying the price for that. And see, if you were just like me, if you did things the right way, then maybe God wouldn't have done that to you. That's the spirit that is legalistic. You get what you deserve, so I don't even care about you. That's not biblical. That's not what Paul's teaching here. That's not what's going on here. That is legalism, and that kills the spirit. We should have compassion. We should pray for our enemies and feed them. Legalists will never do that. They measure God's favor. See, this is abounding in grace. This is the, the legalists can't wrap their heads around this. Measure God's favor based on success or prosperity. So if I'm successful, if I'm wealthy, if I'm prospering in some way, then I must be doing something right, and God must be blessing me, even though I'm the most miserable, worst person over here, you know, dealing with others. But he must be blessing me because I have material success. And on the other side of that, if you don't have that blessing, if you're on the poorer side, if you're not, you know, as successful in certain areas, well, there must be something wrong with you, Job. What did you do, Job? How did you hurt God, Job? See, that's, that's the idea, and that's the spirit. Well, I guess you're in that place because of what you've done, and you just have to work yourself out of that. Forget about compassion. Forget about mercy. Forget about grace. That's not abounding grace. See, that's... that's you have to get your mind around that. Grace is grace. <laughs> right? They stand at the door. The legalist will stand outside that door and they won't defile themselves with the sinners. They'll shout and they'll shout for you to change and they'll tell you you need to change and they'll say even the pejoratives towards you and this is what's going to happen to you. And there will actually be gospel that will be preached with that along with those kinds of things. But they will not go inside and sit with you. They're going to wait outside until you change. And then after that, they'll associate with you. But they can't be seen with the likes of you until you're changed. I'm not going there. I'm not going to go in there with those sinners. No way. Now, when they change and they're just like me, that's different. That's a legalistic mindset. There's no place for that in the Christian life. You're going to see this as we get into these passages as Paul talks about it. The theology, I'm digging deep. I'm digging, dig, digging deep this morning on this. The theology, when it comes to legalists, listen, they're going to know Scripture. They're going to have their Bible mer mer verses memorized. They're going to know more Bible verses than you do. They're going to know their catechisms. They're going to know, because why? Because it's performance, because it's achievement, because it's competition, and, and God, I'm doing good. See God, see how good I'm doing, and I know these verses. Now, is it good to memorize verses? Yes, we should have the Bible memorized. Amen. Praise God. That's all good. It should be in our hearts, ready in our tongues, all that good stuff. But if you're doing it just to perform and just to achieve, then it's not in your heart. And for the legalists, that's how it is so often. And then you know, you know how you know that because they don't really have a good grasp of the doctrine they can memorize the scriptures they could tell you the five points of calvinism but they really can't articulate what that means or what they believe there's no real substance there's no real depth and there's no real outworking in their lives of those scriptures that it should be in their hearts because they're not in their hearts they're just maybe on their minds in their minds because they're achieving because they're performing because they're winning grace abounding does not compute for them and that's the bottom line 
That's a dangerous here. That's why, that's why this verse is so dangerous. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Scary. Especially if you're a legalist. Bottom line is this. They keep works in the mix. They're prideful of their own rule keeping and fearful that they're not doing enough. That's always a twin danger with the legalist. You're always going to be kind of proud of what you do, but you're always going to be shaky. Am I doing enough? And you never really know. They're demanding of others. They do not have, and listen to this, they do not have a reverent fear for God. You understand that? Because you think, oh, they're close to God. They know their Bible. They're being holy. They're living this life. They're not drinking. They're not smoking. They're not dancing. They don't swear. They don't watch TV. Okay. But they do not have a reverent fear of God. Will you reverence him? Where there's a holy fear, will you enter into his love, the Father who loves you, and you love him so much because his grace is poured out on you, and you have that relationship with Almighty God. For the legalist, it's like this with God. It's a fearful fear. It's a fearful fear. You're afraid of God, and you see him as that you know, that unsatisfied father, the dad that you can never really, really please no matter how hard you try or you don't know if you're pleasing to him. If he gives you a pat on the back one time, a pat on the shoulder, you're really happy with that, but you never really know. That's how the legalist views God. And when you have that view of God, you end up frustrated, you end up cold, you end up distant, right? And you end up miserable. That's legalism. That's where grace is not abounding. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And the fact is, if you tend towards that, I want you to examine your heart because there's so many people, more Christians, more churches, more denominations that you know that are steeped in this garbage. You understand that? That might be you this morning. The fact is, if that's, if that is you, the best case is you're truly converted, but you were raised in a home, you were raised in a church, you were raised in a denomination that was steeped in legalism, or you have not known that grace that abounds in verse 21. If that is you, then you need to turn to the Lord even now and seek his forgiveness and know his love and know that grace and know that mercy and that forgiveness that is in him. Amen? Because his grace abounds. And we're not tied to to legalism. We're tied to his word by his Holy Spirit. We don't have to prove anything to anybody because we belong to him. And as we live our lives, we glorify him as we live obediently. Again, you're going to see that next time. But don't be legalistic. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be tied down. You're never going to be sure. You're never going to know. You're never going to, you're always going to wonder. And so many times what happens with the legalists, they, 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 they end up cracking. They just end up, okay, I'm done with this. I can't please God and I'm gone. You know this. I was raised in a legalistic home where, you know, there was a, a, an evil spirit in the toaster, right? Katy Perry, right? Those kinds of things. That, those, those things. I would commend to you the Ginger Duggar. Ginger Duggar, check out her testimony. A lot of what I'm saying, she'll, she'll bring out. Check that out on YouTube. Check out her testimony because she was steeped in this stuff. There's no grace there. Okay, well, that's that. That was the long part. Now the shorter part is the uh, transition to the other side. I'm going to address this um, more as we move on, but this is addressed even more explicitly, um, and that is the antinomian side. And he says this, uh, now where the law came to increase, um, I'm sorry, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
Uh, antinomians love that, right? And you've been saved through Christ. He goes on, then he says, but then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Our, our, our antinomians don't love that as much, but they do love this idea of grace abounding. And this is kind of where we find ourselves. Now, when I say antinomian, what do I mean? Anti means against. Namos is law, so kind of against law. No law. No law. We're under grace. We are under grace. Amen. And there's truth in that. We're definitely under grace. But the antinomian says there's no law whatsoever. We're just, we're just free. You know, we're not under the law. We're under grace. Our sins are covered. So again, we'll pick up a lot more on this, on this next week. But, but they love the grace abounding, um, in, in chapter five. And they have little place for the law in their life. And so we kind of see this coming in, even with the secret sensitive churches, kind of not, not downplaying the law of God and, and, you know, our obedience to Him, secret friendly church. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You can kind of do anything you want. God's still always going to love you no matter what. And, you know, just, I just have to make a profession of faith and I'm, and I belong to Him. And, and that's kind of all there is to it. So there's, there's that. There's also the hyper grace movement, Joseph Prince. I guess, you know, if you, I know he's popular on television, but this is the idea that you are under grace. You are under grace. You're not under the law. Um, and so you're, you know, you don't have to be fearful in any way, um, and just kind of do, do your thing. So the, uh, the refrain for the, for the antinomian is this, free from the law, oh blessed condition, I can sin all I want and still have remission, right? That's it. That's the freedom cry of them. Now, listen, most <clears throat> do not use grace as a license to sin. Some do, but most people are not going to say, hey, I'm under grace, so I can go and have an affair and just be great with it because God's forgiven me. You know, they're not going to be that bold or that outward. Some may be, but most aren't like that. But here it is with the antinomian. You know what it is, especially? They're very self-focused. They're very self-focused, just kind of like the... the um, Legalists as well, but they're very self-focused because antinomianism fits in with today's culture. It's a me first generation. God, it's all about me. God gets me. You know, this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what, what I'm, this is what makes me happy. And God knows that even if it's not quite lining up with his word, he still gets me and he still loves me and he wants me to be happy. So antinomians kind of live in that way. No real need to see sin for what it is, confess sin, repent of sin, uh, turn from sin. Um, not too much of that. They use their freedom um, before considering others. So when it comes like to the weaker brother, an antinomian, they're, they're not going to care about like your convictions <laughs> like as, as a Christian. That's, they're going to see that as legalistic. They might even come not to like you too much. That's not how we're to see one another in Christ, especially if you're mature in Jesus Christ, right? I need to be careful that I'm not an unnecessary offense to you. So I'm going to do everything that I can to, to, to sacrifice my own, even if it's um, free kind of pleasure or whatever it is, for your sake. So Paul talks about this. We'll expound on this more, but if you want to turn real quick to uh, Romans chapter 14, it's also 1 Corinthians 8, but Romans 14, Paul says this, in verses just 13, just read a couple of verses. Paul says this, beginning in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block in the, of hindrance or hindrance in the way of a brother. See, an antinomian is not going to think like that. We're going to do what we want. If you can't handle that, then too bad for you. Right? <clears throat> I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but if it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So you see that? And then we go to 1 Corinthians 8. It's the same thing. Antinomia is not going to give a lick about your convictions or your feelings or, or where you might be in your walk. They're always going to get what they want because they're free in Christ. So I'm free to do this. So, so if you have a person has a conviction that you know, they're not going to drink, we're not going to sit there and break out the booze in front of them and start drinking in front of them, you know, and, and just say, ah, I'm free in, in Christ to do this. You know, we don't want to put a stumbling block. Antinomian is going to put that stumbling block there because they're thinking about themselves and the freedom that they have in Christ. And you should be free too in Christ to do what you like to do in that way. <clears throat> so often they show very little restraint, antinomians. Uh, the legalists are going to be very strict on everything that they do. And they watch their language and stuff. Antinomians, they're going to you know, they don't worry about the admonitions in Scripture to watch your mouth, to watch your language, to watch your dress, to watch this, to watch that. I'm free. I'm free in Jesus Christ. I can do what I want. And that's your problem if you have a problem with me, right? That's, that's the antinomian. So they're going to use, you know, the, the coarse language, the foul language, the coarse uh, joking, things like that without thinking about it because they're free in Jesus Christ. Um, oftentimes they're concerned about what they can get away with before it becomes really sinful. Hey, man, I have my freedom in Christ. Now, I know, you know, there's some limits there, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up to that edge. I'm going to get as close as I can before we call it sin. That's always dangerous, right? But the, the anti know, hey, we have freedom to do that, you know. So if I start feeling buzzed after three beers, maybe I'll have five. Just cross that line. Maybe I'll stop that line, right? That's the anti know because I'm free in Christ. It's a... He gets me Christianity. He gets me. He knows, he knows me. And, and he's my friend. Jesus is my, he's my friend. He, he kind of winks his eye at, at sin a little bit. You know, he wants me to be fulfilled. He wants me to be filled with joy and he wants me to be happy. That's the antinomian. That's where grace abounds. Hey, I have grace. We're under grace. We're not under law. They're not overly concerned with theology. They're not overly concerned with deep study of the word. It's about feelings, it's about emotion, it's about practicality, it's about getting what I want. Give me seven steps, give me five principles, give me 12 days to be a better me in Jesus Christ. That's the antinomia, under, under grace. Um, one time I talked to a person who's this way, said, I'm not under the law, we're under grace. I said, what's that mean, not under the law? Because Paul talks about that, we will talk about that. He says, well, we're under the law of Christ and under the law of love. I said, okay, what's the law of Christ? What's the law of love? I never really heard of that. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of a vague answer. So, well, it's, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And I said, well, that's, that's a summary of the Ten Commandments. That's a summary of the moral law. That's, you know, the two tables of the law. I said, well, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's really an exposition of the Ten Commandments. It's an exposition of the law of God. So, you know, um, so more later on this, but that's kind of the idea. No, 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 we're just free in Christ. We're under grace. We're not under law. The law is gone. The law has nothing to do with the Christian life. Right? Again, we'll talk more about this and see what Scripture actually teaches. But the, but the antinomian is going to go in with the tax collectors. The, the legalist is going to stand outside the door. Antinomian is going to go in. And the antinomian is going to go in and party with them. Jesus went in with the tax collectors. They love that. He went in with the tax collectors and sinners. But they forget to tell you that he went in to preach to them. He wasn't indulging them. He wasn't affirming them. What, a, what an antinomian will do, go in with the tax collectors and say, hey, I got a way. Jesus is good. You should, you should look to Jesus. But you know what? We're, we're pretty much okay just kind of the way we are. Like, look to Jesus, man. I look to Jesus. But that's kind of the extent of it. But mostly they're going to affirm 
and they're going to be okay because Jesus loves everybody and he loves you as well, so it's going to be okay. That's the antinomian view of this, right? So in conclusion, in the end, both legalism and antinomianism end up being, number one, selfish. That's not biblical. That's not grace abounding. Why? The legalist says, look, God, here's what I do. The antinomian says, here's what I get to do in Christ. They end up, number two, being very prideful. They lack humility, dependence, and theological depth. That's a sure sign. Both sides. Both sides. See, this is very common because they're both wrong. Neither of them are right. So you talk to the antinomian, you talk to them about election, predestination. Words that are in the Bible, they're going to be, what? I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I don't really even need to know. You know, the Holy Spirit will give me what I need to know. All right. Prideful in that way. And number three, both lack reverent fear for the Lord. That's true fear of the Lord. We talked about the anti, or the uh, legalist fearfulness of God. They're afraid in that way. But the antinomian does not fear God enough. There's no real fear of the Lord in his eyes. God's my buddy. God's my man. Jesus is my homie. He's my friend. He's cool. He's my dude. Dude, <laughs> don't say that. Right? But you see both sides. That's why we get the balance. That's what Paul's going to be talking about, what it means to be saved by grace. What is Paul's point regarding grace abounding in the Christian life? We're going to start with that next week.